This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is Andy Gutierrez from StarWars.com, and you are listening to Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. This is the podcast you're looking for. This is Ashley Eckstein, Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. Join us today for a cup of coffee to talk about Chapter 3 in the Book of Boba Fett, The Streets of Moss Espa, is our one and only Tom Gross. Well, hello. It's great to be here talking about the Book of Boba Fett again. Episode 3. I love it. Yeah. Well, let's start, as we always do, with our letter grades and overall reactions and as our tradition naturally. We have not talked about this together at all, so this is going to be the first time. So literally, grab a cup of coffee with us and join us at the Mm. table while we talk some Book of Boba Fett. Go ahead, Tom. What would you think about it, man? Oh, yeah. Finishing my sip of coffee here. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to the grade that I give this episode. um, I'm going to go with a B on this one. Um, I enjoyed it. It it was a little slow for me, Um, but there was but there's a lot that happened in this one, but it didn't have quite the impact on me initially as I thought, but that's why we have these conversations and that's why we talk to each other because maybe they're just some things that I missed along the way. Um, we had much more in Moss Espa than flashback this time, just a quick flashback that I'm still kind of processing to be honest with you. Um, yeah. but I, I'm sure this conversation will help out a lot. So solid B I enjoyed it, but a little slow for me. Okay. I think the main challenge with this episode for me is that it wasn't the second one because I think that second episode was a masterpiece of live action Star Wars. Oh, so, but, but it's not fair to compare that to this. So I, I won't uh, consciously do that. I, I really like this one when I can tell you this too, everyone, when it was done, I didn't want it to be over. I didn't want it to end. And it, it ended perfectly. That's exactly where it should have ended. But I wanted more. So that's great, right? That means you can't wait till the next week. I'm going to give it a B plus. It's a little bit higher than okay. you. And so it doesn't reach the the narrative heights of the second one. But it's got some interesting, compelling things. And some really fun moments, too, which is what we're going to talk about. And like we've been doing, I'm not going to break down every single element of that. I'll leave that for everybody online to do in another podcast. But I just want to hit some major themes and major ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first one is a very interesting intro where we meet someone who's referred to as a water broker. Now, the mm. name of the actor is escaping me, but I love him. He is in, he's from <laughs> most notably from Office Space. At least that's how I like to remember him. Mm. And he's been in a number of things. He's very, very humorous. I should probably look him up before I do these podcasts, I think. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we learned that he, um, he he comes in boldly and says, you know, people don't respect you. And, you know, things are chaos in the streets. We need your help. And he finds out there's a there's a gang that has modified their bodies 
with some droid equipment yeah. and and I was going to say memorabilia, but it's not memorabilia. But this they've droidized themselves. I just coined that term. So there's a, there's a lot of interesting things that happen. So let's talk about that conversation up to him meeting uh, this the cyber bikers. But we won't talk about that part just yet. Sure. You know, he was. I felt like there was a lot of um, a lot of similarities to the messenger for the mayor in his his delivery he was i felt like he was condescending every time he would say i'm insulted uh, for you or whatever the language that he used there yeah i was kind of like i don't really i really feel like that's how you really feel so i'm just i don't know i feel like his the you know boba fett wants to lead with respect but i feel like he's definitely not getting it yet in uh in you know from the people that are in the know or that he needs to be, you know, to have support because these water brokers or these business people are the ones that give him tributes. Um, so, so yeah. And I think it, you know, one thing that this reveals is that there's a disconnect between Boba Fett and, um, and the city because he comes in and he says, the streets are, the streets are in chaos. And Boba said, first time I've heard of it, which, you know, kind of makes me, you know, in, in this world of, of news, is it true? Is it not? It does make me wonder, you know, is, is this water broker story true? Is the chaos in the city or is Boba Fett, you know, uh, just out of touch? And so there's a little bit of that question that goes back and forth. But so Boba Fett goes and, and sees for himself and, um, and, you know, the streets are filled with Jawas. There's fire in the, in the garbage cans. And so I don't know if that's normal or not, but um, one thing I did like about this um, opening sequence is we get a few more words out of Fennec Shand. Um, I feel like there's more of a relationship between Fennec Shand and Boba Fett. It's not a ton, but I do feel like there's a little mm -hmm. bit more. And actually overall in this episode, I feel like she has more to say. Um, but again, a full-fledged character development with Fennec Shand, not there yet. Um, and maybe not, it's not her show. So, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I'm just expecting more out of her. You know, I just really liked her in Mandalorian. I really liked her in Bad Batch. So, you know, I'm not going to be disappointed if we don't get more from her, but boy, would I like to see more from her. So yeah, the, the water broker, um, interesting conversations as a Star Wars conversation. I feel like I haven't really seen before. Right. You know, Interesting. I've been I've been trying to look up different information about sort of overall commentary on this particular episode itself. And what I like about I like the idea. I like that Boba Fett is a man of action where if there's something that's going on. He just all right, let's go figure it out. You know, yeah, Fennec suit up. Let's go. So they go and they check things out. And we find out when he meets this gang that they are basically being bilked out of their money by this guy who's, who's really hiking up. I think they said that he's charging like a month's worth of water for a week's worth of water. I believe that was it. And, and Fett's like, mm -hmm. wait, what are you talking about? They, they, these, these, these youngsters, youngsters, these, they stand up to him. <laughs> and I've seen it compare online to like, uh, you know, Alita. I think that's like Alita battle angel. Is that, is that the title of a, Hmm. Yeah, what boy? 
did Dan do his homework or did he not do his homework? <laughs> um, no, I watched the episode several times. No, um, oh yeah, it's compared to Alita Battle Angel meets Akira like bike gang. That's what IGN oh. says. That's what I was thinking of. And I think that's an interesting comparison. So these characters are are, are going to become part of Fett's gang, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really have anybody besides those two Gamorian guards. So he doesn't really have anyone that's working with him, which is part mm -hmm. of probably the challenge of him trying to establish who he is. But I, I find myself, again, sort of scratching my head about where this is going to go. And maybe that's part of the beauty of it. I have a feeling that by the time this thing is all done, Tom, it's going to blow us away with the slow burn to a, a very powerful reveal. Maybe Fett's kind of playing possum, you know, and just waiting to the right moment to just kind of let it all loose, which mm -hmm. I can wouldn't be surprised about at all. What I will sure. say, though, I love his style. I absolutely love his style with this, this water broker and as well as the the gang that he recruits to join him. He says, you want to get paid? You want a job? Join me. He, he relieves them of their debt and he treats them with respect. He doesn't talk down to them. Mm -hmm. He admires their, the, the woman's courage and bravery, uh, which I think is very, very cool. Uh, so I guess it'll be interesting to see it's, um, it, it's Sophie Thatcher is the, is the actor. And she is from the series yellow jackets, which is really, really popular. Oh, but yeah. other than that, I mean, d does this particular aspect of it do a lot for me? No, not really. But again, I, I reserve the right to wait and see what happens. I mean, he's really I, what I wonder is, I mean, are we are we witnessing his, he's kind of building his is it ethos uh, where, you know, he wants to lead by respect. So he's going to start treating people with respect. I mean, it's a slow burn. You know, you don't you mm -hmm. don't gain respect overnight which is a good lesson to know and understand. And so he's, he's building that he's going after the people that are disrespecting him, AKA the mayor um, and maybe even some business people, but he even, even the water broker after he discovers that he's pilfering, you know, high prices, mm -hmm. he says, how much do they owe you? Here's 500. That's enough. Yep. And lower your prices or wages mm -hmm. or well, I, I can't remember his language, but he says, lower your prices and takes the, so he does two things. Number one, the, the bike gang or the, the ruffians, mm. the youth, you know, he, he gives them purpose and by giving them purpose, takes them off the street so that the water brokers is happy. So really he, he, you know, kills two birds with one stone here, gains respect, you know, all sorts of things kind of go on here, even though, it, it, it takes a little bit of time to stop and think. I mean, that didn't just, that didn't occur to me while I was watching the show, but as we're right. sitting here and I was listening to you, I was like, okay, lots of things happened here, even though it was not, you know, a shoot 'em up scene. No. And I really like the fact that he says, you, you know, I hope you fight as well as you talk. I just, I love that line. <laughs> yes. And I forgot do. about that line. Yeah. <laughs> And they have, so you know who they remind me of? And I haven't seen this comparison yet, but towards the end of the, the original Marvel comics, star Wars run of the, of the eighties, uh, we're starting in the late seventies. Naturally there are these, do you know what I'm talking about? There are these, um, cybernetically enhanced humans that fight Luke yeah. and the art style is yeah. very, very different at the end, but they reminded me of that vibe. And I don't know if that is inspired it at all, but it very much reminded me of that, which I thought was really fun. In fact, there are a ton of wonderful, 
Easter eggs that are sprinkled throughout this thing. There's one thing we didn't mention, a Pelimoto sighting. If, when he's walking through, if you look, when you see all the Stormtrooper helmets yeah, on pikes, yeah. uh-huh. there's a woman, as he's walking in one direction, Pelimoto is walking the other direction with a bunch of the droids. So it's oh. got to take place during season one of The Mandalorian is my guess. I love that. That was a great touch. That was great. Yeah. Did you catch yeah, that? I felt like, I, I, yeah, well, I didn't see, I didn't see her in the pitroids, but one thing I noted was when, when we saw them placing those stormtrooper heads on the pikes, that kind of gave me a, re- a frame of reference of when is this? Cause that's a, this is a flashback. Mm-hmm. And so how many years have, yep. have passed between the two? Well, now we've got a pretty good idea that you know there's not this this flashback is really getting close to current mandalorian events meetup mm-hmm. right so i guess one thing is yeah the the pelimoto scene is during the flashback which we should we're transitioned to now so he we see fett once again in the back to tank yeah and a number of things happen we he gets first of all there's this glorious scene where he's riding this bantha and he's nodding with mm-hmm. a lot of respect to the tuscans as he's leaving you see this beautiful shot of him on the Tuscan going through the desert, very Lawrence of Arabia or like yeah. lone wolf on his, on his horse sort of thing. We see a conversation with the pikes and then we see a very uh, upsetting ending. So uh, where do you want to start on this? Well, actually, can I start with a question for you? That's, that's right before all of this. Sure. When he's, when he's in the back to tank and he looks and he instantly goes back to, um, Camino. Oh, Camino. What? So this is not the first time we've seen Mm-mm. the ship flying away and young Boba running to the window watching it. What? Can I? Can I ask? What do you make of that at this point? Because I don't know. I, I have no idea what. Why the recurring to that scene? Any idea? You know, I was going to bring that up, and I even wrote it down. So I'm glad that you did. There's something there, isn't there? I mean, it, it's the same sequence of him watching Slave One. Yeah. fly away what well, i guess now it's called boba fett's ship uh starship or whatever but so i don't know because this isn't when jango fett gets killed by mace windu because they're together mm. yeah so i don't know if this happened a lot or if this is when he first went off and met count dooku i, I really don't know but there's something okay. significant about it and i can't imagine it's just to continue to show stock footage of daniel logan when he was a youngster so there's there's got to be something to that I'm hoping we'll get to reveal. But as far as I can tell, the footage from this is pretty similar to what we saw in Chapter 2. But it's mm-hmm. not an accident, right? There's got to be something about it. Right. And the only thing I can think is, at this point, it's something to do with uh, his father leaving. You know, I, But I don't know what it is yet. Okay. Just curious where you stood on that. So <laughs> Yeah. There's got to so, be something to it. Right. So, so he goes to, and this is where he's, he's in Moss Eisley, right? When he comes in on the, on the Bantha and sees the. Uh, Moss Espa. Uh, is oh, it, Mos- well, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. Okay. It's, I mean, everything has been Moss Espa so far. All right. So he walks in on the Bantha and goes and has the meeting with the Pikes and is asking about protection money. Mm-hmm. And is claiming it as land of the Tuscan Raiders, and they're saying, "Well, we can't do both," you know. And and, and so, I, you know, it was an, it, what I what I took from this is, you know, this is negotiation in it with a new Boba Fett. 
And so he's going to show them that the Tuscan Raiders, this is their land. He's going to go take care of that, that, that biker gang that does that swoopy forward and backwards J. I don't know what, what, if there's a name for that logo they're using. I don't know. Um, and then, and then you mentioned the, 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 the really disturbing scene where he goes to, he goes back to the camp mm-hmm. and I wondered, I, I just, this is just to, uh, logistics here, but I wondered would he continue when he sees the smoke and realizes the location of the smoke, would he continue on the slow Bantha <laughs> for that? You know, but then they show in the next scene, he's running. Yeah. He's dismounted the Bantha and he's running to the camp where the camp has been utterly, you know, destroyed. It's burning. And when you when you when you watch with the captions, by the way, it mm-hmm. says Boba Fett panting. Like it's hard to hear because of the music. But he's like oh. out of breath as he's getting up there, which doesn't happen very often with him. No, interesting. And it was really reminiscent of a couple different scenes for me. Um, the first the first thing that comes to mind is we've seen something like this before in Tatooine when Luke returns mm-hmm. to um the Jawas. Or no, right. I'm sorry, his uh his, to his, his home. homestead. Yeah. yeah. And he sees the burned out um homestead of of Owen. And uh, and so I thought of that first. And then it took me to um boy, I, this is this is gonna be rough. I believe it's Attack of the Clones where Luke Luke Anakin destroys and kills all the Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot too. And and just those two things were in my mind as he was walking through the um, the camp, and then they go and they and and he's and he's burning the the dead, and he's tossing the weapons in. And the one that really hit me, sort of the gut, was the child's stick that the child has been mm-hmm. crafting or carried with him and you know it's really rudimentary but you can tell it's it's something that he's been working on and uh pretty proud of and he tosses it into the fire and you know we talked we've talked about this before that you know boba fett's going through a, a renaissance a, a a rebirth of boba fett and to me this is part of that journey you know, to have this loss of of the of the people who have taken him in, you know, caught him as a slave. He proves himself. He saves a child. They bring him in. They, you know, he becomes more than what they probably expected, and and make him one of them through all of their rituals. And he goes off to negotiate for them and comes back, and they're gone. And so it's one more step in Boba Fett's path that is shaping the Boba Fett that we're seeing in Mos Espa as Lord Fett, or I can never say the word that the, the D word that they're using to just the, the, it's like daimyo or something. Daimyo. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, it's just, it's a one more step of his, of his journey. And so it's, it's a tragic one, but it helps me to understand why, why Boba Fett doesn't, doesn't just shoot that 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 assistant of the mayor why doesn't just walk into the mayor's office guns ablaze why he walked up to the biker gang and didn't just you know go crazy on him you know and so it's it's one more thing his restraint is is Mm. incredible and i think part of the challenge with this i mean who would want to tell this story this would be a hard story to tell because 
We've failed in our head cannons since 1980, what Boba Fett is like. And all you read about is he's the most feared bounty hunter sure. and all of that. And now he's showing, I, I dare I say, even grace. I mean, he certainly doesn't suffer fools. He doesn't let anyone talk. Um, whatever, but he does, he does not, it's not like um, Martin Scorsese gangster thing, right? It's not, it's mm-hmm. not like that. It's, it's like uh, he really is like, a man's man sort of a thing in earning respect and not necessarily admiration, but certainly respect that becomes a mutual transaction, which I really like this flashback with the pikes. I'm glad that they're like the, they appear like they're going to be the big bad for this series mm-hmm. and they should be. I mean, we've seen how bad they are in clone wars and the bad batch and solo briefly so they they are certainly bad guys that are worth exploring. Uh, just how evil they are, because I'm not entirely sure if it's. I mean, yes, we saw that gang symbol on one of the Tuscan tents, but I'm not yeah. sure if the if the Pikes set that up or not, or if they really are just in uh, stand, you know, quote unquote innocent that are just sort of, you know, we're trying to get through the desert. I mean, they're not innocent at all, but they're really keeping out of that because they're it's beneath them. They're not just in getting their hands dirty. And you can tell by the way they dress yeah. and the way they construct their, their homesteads or their temporary quarters as far as that goes. The challenge of me on this Tuscan scene is it was, it was a gut punch. It's like you turn around and someone punches you in the stomach. I wasn't yeah. expecting it. I really thought we're going to spend more time with the Tuscans, especially after... It's, kind of, it's almost like a love letter to them in, in the second <laughs> chapter. And I was really discouraged. Like, I was actually discouraged. I was certainly bummed, as you're supposed to be. And Mason and I were like, man, that's sad. Uh, so I, I hope this makes sense. But part of me feels a little cheated that I didn't get more of that. Like, I feel like even though I only knew them for an, an episode and in a third, I don't get me wrong, I didn't want to see anybody get destroyed or hurt or injured or even scared but i feel like we deserve to at least get one or two more nice little moments with them and then all of a sudden you see like something is happening and they have to defend themselves but we didn't get any of that so i feel like it's almost like a, a morning thing i don't feel like i almost didn't get closure i mm. mean obviously man maybe you know what maybe that's the genius of john favreau and robert rodriguez he didn't get closure either so the audience doesn't either. So if that is the plan, that was mm. excellent. That was very well crafted because I certainly felt that way. You know, should I have seen Boba Fett cry or be enraged? I don't know. Boba Fett doesn't do that, right? He's never mm. done that. So it, w- it was very powerful, very poignant. And I, I, it made me feel empty. But again, I think that's the point. Absolutely. And what I thought was because I had the same feeling, you know, <laughs> we just really got to know that the chieftain and the warrior and the and the and the boy and the the child, and it what it made me think is this is the life of a Tuscan raider, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're they are so uh, in the in the circle of life of Tatooine, they seem to be very disposable. And they are a target, which makes, you know, the, being a target makes them violent, I suppose. And so, but yeah, I, it was it was way too early of an end, but I, su- yeah. I suspect that that's the life of a Tusken Raider. And it's so sad. Like, again, how could you not think about the Native Americans? 
Indians yeah. or are other other parts of the world where you know apartheid is taking place or just mm-hmm. you know it's it's really like I always say one of my favorite quotes you know fiction is obliged to tell the truth so it right. it helps us to reveal difficult truths and realities that sometimes people aren't comfortable talking about for whatever reason sure and that stands out to me so the fact that we care as much as we do about these Tuscans is a testament to the storytelling, I would say. Yeah. But we don't get a chance to really reflect on anything because we get a fight scene, buddy, <laughs> with Black Chrysanthemum <laughs> yes. that it was just explosive. So let's let's talk about it all the way up to him being captured. I mean, I, I got a lot to say, but I want to hear what, what you kind of noticed first. I mean, I've come to learn that when they do the previews of each episode, that you're really getting a preview. You're not just getting a reminder of what happened in the last episode. They're picking Mm. and choosing specific scenes. And we saw in the preview, Don't Sleep Lightly, told by one of the twins, uh, Huts. And boy, (laughs) he is ripped. He is ripped out of that Bakta tank. I mean, it is full of, of Bakta when he when Kersant opens it up. And then you see Kersant drag him out of that uh, tank. And they he just throws him around. And what's even more impressive in, in terms of Black Kersant, or they're just calling him Kersant. Uh, we call him Black Kersant because we know him from the Afro and Star Wars story. And that's he, he carries that title uh, in there. But anyway... Uh, Kersan, what to his credit as as a warrior or gladiator, is when when Boba Fett gets his gaffy stick, and he uses the the pointed end, and he he jabs that into his back. It doesn't slow down Kersan at all. It in fact enrages him more, and that's when he picks him up and he kind of grabs him around the neck and he throws him across the room, and it's about that time that that. Hey, here's the biker gang. Let's see if they can fight as good as they talk. And you know mm-hmm. what? They held their they own. Do. You know, they yeah. had weapons. They had electrified weapons and things like that. And Kersantin took care of them relatively easily, but they certainly gave Boba Fett the moment he needed to get his senses back and he drew get drug his robe the fight on. down. Yeah, get his <laughs> robe on. <laughs> Um, but you know, it took the battle to the throne room, which is where Fennec Shan became involved, and they unknowingly got Kersantin over the uh the trapdoor and she drops him in. And I was like, wow, what a what a beast to put into. And I just thought about the respect of Kersantin in two ways. Number one, that was an amazing fight that he was oh, he, you know, he, he he had the element of surprise, but still. He 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 dealt with Boba Fett. He dealt with the biker gang. He deals with you know. I mean, he was about to deal with uh, Fennec Shan, and so they have this amazing warrior in the in the pit that a legendary creature, the Rancor, you know, lived in. And so I'm like, wow, two um, two, I guess supposedly legendary creatures have been held in. The- <laughs> in that Mm -hmm. uh in that pit and what a great what a great it it was it was a great fight scene there was a lot of action we really got to see the kind of beast that kersantan is um 
And when we got a little preview of what we can expect from the biker gang in terms of supporting Boba Fett. Yes. Yeah. So when, when he's first ripped out, like it was jarring for, again, Mm -hmm. jarring for audience, the audience jarring for certainly for Boba Fett. And he's ripped out and thrown across the room. And I saw how angry black Chrysanthemum was. I was like, I honestly was scared for Boba Fett. Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was petrified. And I kept thinking, I really kept thinking, I hope this fight gets over soon because no way, no way. And then who wants to be a a Gamorrean guard against Black Chrysanthemum? Are you kidding me? (laughs) They were bacon for him. It was bad news. I felt so bad for them more than even Fett who didn't have his armor. He's just sitting Mm -hmm. there in, in his swimsuit, basically. And Chris Sandin is like taking bites out of them and throwing them around and they're fighting valiantly. Yeah. It's so cool to me that once the fight is over and Chris Sandin is trapped, I really like that. He says, get him in the back, to t- get him in my back. He says, get him in my back to tank. Yes. So that, I mean, that that's like, that's gotta be a level of intimacy, you know, like as far as like complete respect in like mm-hmm. brotherhood, I, I thought that was speaks very highly about why these guards are going to fight for Boba Fett forever. Until they're That's dying breath because of that loyalty, which I thought was really quite moving. But it was uh it was really, really, really well choreographed. I, I kept thinking, I kept saying, where's Fennec Shan? Where's Fennec Shan? And look, you know I'm not a speculation guy, but how could you not think where the heck was she? Why wasn't she there? Like that's her whole purpose. Mm. So it makes me worry that there's uh, something rocky there. Fett doesn't seem to mind. Uh, I mean, the next sequence is them, you know, basically eating. And there's this massive feast, oh, yeah. and she's like, "Why don't you just eat?" And she's smiling and happy and acting really indifferent. And this is my other challenge with this: is that I still feel like Fennecine is being really underused. Mm-hmm. Like she is, she's about as much of a character in this as Boba Fett is in The Empire Strikes Back: Return of the Jedi. Like her, just there. Hmm. but not really doing much. And that stinks because I want to see more of her. And again, I know it's not her story, but she's a part of the story and we've been sold with her as part of the story. So I would like, I hope we get to see her do or say something meaningful. And again, Hmm. I reserve the right to change this opinion once I've seen everything. But I think it's fair to at least point out again, Mm -hmm. critical thinking, intellectual honesty. No one's, no one's bashing anything, but it's more like, I think we deserve more Fennec Shan. So where was she? And and I, I hope, I hope that it's just, who knows, but it, it makes me nervous. I, my guess was that, um, you know, she, she has quarters near the throne room to be, you know, to be on call. If someone makes a call, you know, he has his, he has his own quarters somewhere. I, I imagine it up high in that tower, but I assumed that her her quarters would be closer to the throne room just so that she can be instead of him uh, when he's in the back to tank or something like that. That's just where I make it sense in my head. But there could yeah. be something to that. Um, I feel like she's just really wanting to live the, you know, she's wanting to support him as lord of his territory. And so right. she's just trying to really keep him focused on that. Um, and doesn't want to see him lose that. So she's kind of old school and mm-hmm. making sure he doesn't forget that is, is where my mind is. 
And part of it might be that she's actually enjoying being able to like take a breath yeah. because her, how much of her life has been, you know, constantly fighting, fighting or fighting for survival. So she actually gets to take sometimes, which I think is nice. Mm -hmm. So Makes who sense. knows? Who knows? Yeah. Let, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we return, we will talk about the second half of this episode, including the return of a surprising favorite from return of the Jedi. This is coffee with Kenobi. This is Vanessa Marshall, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. We are back talking about the second half of Chapter 3 of the book of Boba Fett. Tom, uh, we find out after Black Crescent has been captured that the twins have arrived. So yes. we know something is going to happen, right? Something is, mm. some things are heating up. We go, he goes outside and the huts have a little confession and they also are going to offer a gift. They, <laughs> they share with us that, you know what? Uh, we've been tricked, you know, the mayor has tricked us too. And actually this is all about the pikes The the territory has already been promised to the pikes. The huts are very, really quite gregarious they apologize repeatedly um and then fett brings black chrysanthemum up who somehow is able to just be held captive by some chains and one guard um <laughs> which to me tells me i mean if chrysanthemum wanted to get out he'd get out like yeah. steve rogers like you know, if you wanted to take you down peter parker he would um so they i feel like he's just like well it's over whatever uh i'm gonna move on so they say, no, he's our tribute to you. Sell him back to the gladiators. No. So there's a lot there, plus the gift itself, which is a rancor. I yeah. want I want to hear your thoughts uh, kind of on the twins. Uh, so let's, let's just cover the twins first, then we'll get to the rancor. They were so, so Apollo. But you, you said, right, Gregoria, you know, uh, gre um, Gregorious. Oh, Gregorious, thank you. That I thought it, maybe it wasn't sincere. Um, and they were just trying to play him. In fact, they talk about that a little bit. Fennec, Shannon, uh, Boba Fett, do you believe him? Uh, yeah. You know, whatever. Um, but they were so apologetic. And But, you know, the one thing about the Huts is they haven't been in power for so long by being fools. And so, and they they play by the rules, kind of like the Mandalorian follows the, the you know, the, 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 um, the code. I'm sure that even the Fets know their place and when to follow the code. And, you know, they even say, we don't want a war bad for business, you know? And so, yeah. and so they make a, um, they don't burn bridges. They even, you know, Hey, <laughs> maybe down the road, we'll see each other again. And so they offer black or Santon and, um, and then the rancor. And so, the two things were, I mean, there's really a lot going on here because you're trying to figure out if the Fets are, if the twins are, um, not the Fets, <laughs> the Huts right. are being sincere, but then they, they readily give up both of these really legendary, powerful creatures. Um, mm. I, I was more curious what they would do with Black or Santon than so much than the Rancor. Um, so I'll talk about that first. I really just sort of, I, 
it didn't it didn't occur to me but when boba fett said release him I, I, that totally made sense i figured he would because one thing that boba fett knows because boba fett is this also is he knows that black chrysanthemum is a survivor why yep. didn't black chrysanthemum break out of the chains and you know either run from the from the huts or fight it, because he's a survivor he knows he knows where he is you know he knows what's happening and so he knows whatever situation he he's put in he'll find a way to deal with it so boba fett honors that you know i even like it when he says no hard feelings it's just business you mm -hmm. know even black chrysanthemum is you know a raging you know wookie that's cybernetically enhanced i'm sure he understood that being a survivor himself and so I love it how even gives him almost, advice, you know, don't work mm -hmm. for, I don't remember the term he uses. Oh yeah. Know, yeah. Take, take it from me. Maybe he was yeah. talking about Darth Vader, by the way. Could be. Yeah. So Kersantan is out of the scene for now, for now. Mm -hmm. I hope, I hope somewhere, someplace we get to see him again, but he is, he's a wonderful character in, in uh, the comics. So now I always liked Rancor. him in the comics, by the way. And I thought he was cool, but I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, here's a Wookiee and it's a bounty hunter. And okay, that's sort of a twist on a familiar idea in Star Wars and people are adding more to the to the canvas of the mm -hmm. Star Wars mythology. And you sure, that's fine. But yeah. seeing him in this series makes me love him. Like I'm yes. looking around my office now and looking at all these different Chewbacca things thinking, I need some black croissants in action figures. <laughs> if you could get me a retro design, I like the old kind of black croissants Come on, that would be the best. They so would I have really to give liked it... him so much. Yes, he was great. And now that we have a live action version of him, he definitely deserves to have an action figure. And they're going to have to make the little plastic bubble bigger because he better be huge. He's got to be big. He's got to be. He's got to be massive. He was but great. Yeah. So there's the reveal of of your, your gift, and then they they zoom backwards. And you see, like, from the entrance of Jabba's uh, gate, garage door, basically. <laughs> you see on the right, you see the huts and, and the, the litter holding them. And on the left, you see a rancor being wheeled up, but it's it's tied up and it's it's got its mouth uh, sealed over. off and, yeah, muzzled. And so when it happened, this is another thing with, with my, my legendary play-by-play uh, what seems to be the case of the series is I say out loud, no way, no way, no way. <laughs> I was so fired up seeing a rancor. And I thought, no way. Jabba's going to Jabba's palace is going to have another rancor. Yeah. I was through the moon. And then I see Dan trio uh, as the actor, because of course he does all the Robert Rodriguez stuff. I thought that was terrific. We were very excited about it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk after this about what happens inside the palace yeah. itself. But just seeing a rancor as a gift, I couldn't have been happier. It was it was amazing. I mean, you know what what is what is you know Jabba's old palace, Boba Fett's palace? What is it without a rancor? I mean, that's that's kind of like you know peanut butter and jelly, you know. And so to see it returned and go from a peanut butter sandwich to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and I I really found it to be kind of sad to see it mm -hmm. tied up the way it was on this hover yeah. craft. And it just made me think kind of of a zoo animal as it was mm -hmm. laying there. But I'm, so I was thinking, man, a legendary creature and such a 
humbling. It's not humbling. What is it? Demeaning, uh, yeah. uh, uh, sort of treatment, but I guess, you know, it's not just gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna ride it right into the palace. So I guess that's, it's the only way to get a rancor to go in. It also makes me think of that bad batch episode where they do oh, rescue yeah. the, um, the rancor and how, I don't know. Again, it, it was so it was so unlike the rancor in Return of the Jedi, you know, mm-hmm. um, which we get a little bit of conversation about that uh, that we'll talk about. But it was a great moment. I was really happy to see that, especially in juxtaposition of of Black Chrysanthemum, you know, this raging beast that that gets away, and then we pull in a legendary creature that is, you know, tied up in in that manner. But Boba Fett accepts him. Yeah, I thought that was great. And then again, the fact that he released Black Chrysanthemum and, you know, no hard feelings don't work for slime balls in essence. And Black Chrysanthemum, who has this wonderful growl, this wonderful, yeah, uh, augmented, dain, you know, raspy growl, almost just terrific, delicious, <laughs> absolutely delicious. Love it. <laughs> Love it. So then we get, um, before we get to the, to the, to the mayor's major domo chase, we need to talk about when the Rancor is inside. We learn a lot about Rancors. Now, the fact that Rancors are peaceful unless they're threatened or they can train to be violent, I knew mm-hmm. about that, and I said this before because of the Star Wars book, because that's some research I did on Rancors. Yeah. And now we're seeing that you know happening, which is great to see. Yeah. Uh, they're almost like the pit bulls of the Star Wars galaxy. They're, you know, they're, they can be kind and sweet and even show love. We understand. So they're not just dumb brutes. They actually, there's actually something to them, which is marvelous. Fett wants to learn to ride it, which Mm -hmm. is hard, hard not to think about Omega when you see that or the old, the classic old video games for sure. But I love the fact, Tom, they're like a baby duckling or something like that. They they have its eyes covered so that the first time its eyes are oh it's it's uncovered it can see it will imprint on whatever it sees so Boba Fett with his heart, with the helmet off that mm-hmm. is who he sees I think there's a lot to unpack there uh, take us anywhere you want yeah I really liked I really liked Boba Fett's reaction to the Rancor and how he took to it all, all I could think of was the scene earlier in the flashback where he's riding the Bantha. And, you know, he has that majestic feel. And I'm assuming the Bantha may be what he's referring to when he says, I've ridden things 10 times the size of, of this Rancor. Um, I, I, to me, that was uh, a nod to the Star Wars Holiday Special and the Mythosaur, the cartoon of him riding oh, the Mythosaur. Oh, yes. That would be cool if that was it. That would be even better. But so, yeah. So I really liked his, his sort of, his, the way he takes to the Rancor and shows affection to it and you know he's scratching the side of it and says this this is the spot this is a good spot and they they kick back to a shot uh to the um to the rancor trainer and he, he does a grin and a little nod to you know uh, affirm that yes that's that's the spot and it, it's a different side of boba fett that we have not really seen mm-hmm. um even in the flashbacks but the flashbacks i think tie into this because of the the nature aspect of the Tuscan Raiders, their their way they they live in the land and and all that, and so this is sort of Boba Fett's uh, what he took from them uh, showing here. I have to say, 
at the conclusion of the scene when Boba, when the droid shows up and says the mayor 20 years, whatever, or 20 days or whatever it was. And Boba yeah, Fett leaves. I, I was felt, I felt a little betrayed. I don't know. Did I really, did I misread Did I misread the, the tone of the trainers when, he, when, when he says to the rancor, don't worry, he'll be back. And the rancor kind of turns its eye toward the camera. Mm-hmm. Is is there mischief there? Or no, did it I was totally pure. It was that? pure love. No, I okay. I, think, I I looked for that very closely the second time, hoping that wasn't the case. And I don't think that at all. I think okay. I think I think Dantrio's character, the the new rancor keeper, uh, pouring out for Maliki or however you say his name. They they are no. He I guess he still exists. I think he's in the aftermath books. Isn't he the rancor keeper? Yeah, mentioned? yeah, yeah. I thought that's so. right. He is, but but no. It's like I think I get the sense that he's happy that he's found a master that cares for the rancor and isn't going to treat it for fighting or, or misuse it or or be or any kind of animal cruelty. I got the sense there's nothing but mutual respect in that okay. room between those three. That's that's, that's good. I because that that just left me a little uneasy about that whole scene. But here's what's in my head. <laughs> This is not a prediction. I'm not expecting this to happen. But that whole time when he says, well, I want to learn to ride this. And he says, that takes a lot mm-hmm. of discipline, you know, which we know Boba Fett has. What yeah. I could, what I thought of was this whole first two uh, episodes, they're like, well, why aren't you being carried in by a, you know, the, Ooh. The, 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 I was like, he's going to ride yeah. into Mos Espa on a Rancor. <laughs> How's that for Again. respect, baby? Again, I, you know, I'm sure that's not what's going to happen, but that's what came to mind when, when he said, I want to ride this. I was like, ride it into the mayor's office. You want, (laughs) it reminded me of one of those previous video games where you can, what are the earlier battlefronts? I think, is it battlefront where you can control a rancor and you can go through Tatooine and smash it. Oh, I don't remember that. That was fun. I think that what, no, no. What was that game? That was a game. Hmm. I need to think about this. Well, so let us know in the CWK cafe. If, if you know what video game I'm talking about, where you can yeah, take over yeah. as a rancor, I can, I can picture the cover, but I can't think of the name of it. Either way. I thought that was, I thought it was a touching scene. I really liked it again, the notion of tr- taming the wild beast, but this isn't a wild beast. It wasn't wild. It just wild by reputation. Yeah. Uh, it was, dep- it was even depressed, which I thought was like, Oh, it, ma- it oh, makes yeah, you feel sad, right. but there's a definite animal love there, which I really liked. So they go after the mayor, Fennec suit up, let's go. And she's ready to roll. Uh, the mayor's major demo was again, extraordinarily condescending. He even almost kind of laughs and mocks Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And then they, he runs inside, locks the door. They chase after him. Then we get this big chase sequence. To me, there's only one major part of this chase sequence that I really want to talk about, but what do okay. you make of this part? Um, well, my first thought was, oh, he's driving Han Solo's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Similar <laughs> models. That was really cool. Like a later one. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And I like how, I like how the biker gang has, or Boba Fett's new gang has like tripped out motorcycles. The, the, the kind of the lead girl has like multiple rear view mirrors or something. I, I mean, I, I like mm-hmm. that they're all modified, but you know. It's what's, you know, you got to have some sort of a speeder chase uh, at some point. And it just, you know, there are a lot of things in there that that just were kind of fun to watch. Um, But I'm curious as to hear what 
what you liked about there or what you wanted to talk about regarding this chase. So there's a, there's really one standout for me. The chase sequence was fine. It was fun. Okay. Um, the standout for me is that one of the things that's happening during through the traffic in the, in the chase sequence is these two are have this image, this big piece of paper that they're walking across the street, and they crash through it. Did you see what that image was? I did. It was the Ralph. It was the Ralph McQuarrie concept art of Jabba the Hutt's palace. I mean, what a great Easter egg that really messes with your mind because, you know, is Ralph McQuarrie canon now? I don't think we need to necessarily go that route, but I, but I think it's pretty cool. Like you, you could easily say a denizen of Tatooine or someone painted or was hired by Jabba to paint this, yeah. but it's the Ralph McQuarrie art. What a loving tribute. And, and did you catch that? Cool. Last week when they when Fett was building his gaffy stick, um, that overhang and that in that unusual sort of outdoor area where they were doing that is uh -huh. very reminiscent of one of Ralph McCoy's piece of art of the Tuscan Raiders. Oh my gosh, I totally missed that. I'll have to go back and look at that. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of love. A cool. lot of love for McCoy through this, which is is terrific. Ter between that That's magnificent. And you know, Pelimoto and some of the other things that there was one other thing that it was mentioned. Yeah. Oh yeah. When he says I've written things much larger, I thought of the holiday special. Yeah. I'm sure there yeah. are other ones that I'm perhaps missing, but there's some really fun Easter eggs. This is this whole Boba Fett series has been a really nice uh, parade of, of Easter eggs, like love letters to star Wars, mm -hmm. uh, which I really like a lot. And anything else you want to say about the, the chase sequence? No, other than everybody has to join me now and going back and rewatching some of these <laughs> these Fun. Easter eggs. Those are so cool. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, well, we, we find out at the end of the episode that this is the the Pikes. You know, have done it. The Pikes have shown up, yeah. and there's this beautiful sequence where this massive starship lands and the Pikes get off the ship while mm -hmm. the while the Starcraft was going over Tatooine and was about to land. I just had this feeling in my heart. I love Star Wars. Gosh, do I love Star Wars. I love seeing the ships and the anticipation of who's going down there. There was a part of me that thought, is that the Millennium Falcon in the background? It wasn't. Mm. And Mason was like, Dad, what would you do if it was? I'm like, I would be super excited. That's what. But oh, no, it's just a, a starship. And the Pikes come out and, you you know, let's, we're going to go to war. And Fett's like, all right. Yeah. I mean, that's not, of course, verbatim by any stretch of the imagination. No. I didn't transcribe it. But that is a sense. So then you start to put pieces together and think, is Boba Fett, is his whole motivation after he gets his armor to get revenge on the Pikes for what they did to, this, to the Tuscans, hmm. Or what? That's kind of where I'm at now. But we've got a few more episodes to sort of see what happens. Anything you want to say about the end of the episode before we wrap things up really interesting things to think about there. I hadn't, those are, that's not a connection that I'd made. So I appreciate that. Um, no, the, you know what? Okay. Two things. Number one, I really love your, your image and your thoughts about the ship flying over and landing. I have those feelings a lot and mm -hmm. I, yeah, I can totally see why you would have that for me. It was when, Oh, I'm going to mess this up really bad. It's the episode in The Mandalorian when he's on the oh, 
never mind. <laughs> it's when the Imperial, sh they have to hijack the Imperial ship. And when that Imperial ship is leaving like the Harbor area of, and it can't rise real fast and it's taking off. That's, that's my moment where I had that feeling. Oh, like, fun. Totally, yeah, yeah. I totally can yeah. feel that for you and that Tatooine scene. So not story wise, but this is just directing an episode wise. This is the second Boba Fett episode that ended way faster than I really expected mm. it to. Last mm -hmm. week was the quickest 50 minutes of Star Wars that I that I may have ever experienced. This one, I, you know, I knew it was over because of the way it ended, and they have that pause, and then they go back to the to the credits. But I was not ready for that. I really thought there was more for this for this episode to tell, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, it's like a it's like a middle piece. That you have to have to get from A to B, but oh, I wanted something else, and so I think that's why I gave it the just the solid B is because I I, I felt sort of like gypped of well, no, give me give me something mm -hmm. else. And and by the way, what I, something story wise I wanted to mention was when those pikes come walking off that ship, they are just so intimidating looking with yeah. those those helmet masks. And I thought they were so nasty on um, on Kessel with those where their air things were dripping like that yellow poison from the you know the, the condensation mm -hmm. of the air. And I just like um, I that is the image when I think of pikes. That's the image I have. And so when they come walking off, just sort of they're sort of like marching in a way yep. off. I mean, they don't have lines or anything, but you're like, this is bad. This is bad news for Tatooine and for Mos Espa. And then the last thought I had was when when Boba Fett says, "Then we'll." I, I wish I could remember exactly what he says. He says something like, "Then we then we'll be ready for war. We're prepared for war." Something like that. Something like that. I thought mm -hmm. his two Gamorians, his biker gang, and and he and Fennec. Wh wh what don't we know yet? <laughs> or what right. does he have up his sleeve? Because you're not going to fight, you know, uh, the Pikes with you know six seven people. So some he's got something else up his sleeve or an idea right. that he's working on. It's it's going to be fun again again a very fascinating episode with some some jaw dropping moments the the threat of black chrysanthemum being able to be actualized in live action was great the shock of the rancor the heartbreak of the loss of the Tuscan village and then the the question of where are we going now I love yeah. not knowing. I will certainly be watching it next Wednesday as early as possible. And I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to talking about it with you next week, of course, Tom. Oh. And hear what all of you think listening right now. Please let us know in the CWK Cafe yes. what you thought about the third chapter in the book of Boba Fett. And be honest, you know, be, you know, again, critical thinking and intellectual honesty. I know the weeds are a little thick now with. Um, it's pretty much all or nothing commentary. I, I, what I'm happy about with coffee with Kenobi, it's always been my goal from the day one is you don't have to like everything, you know, but you can find several linings and everything. And, and how do you articulate, you know, where can we learn from each other about what works and what didn't work? I, I yeah. think there's real value in honest criticism, intellectual honesty, critical thinking. So I appreciate Tom that we were able to do this here together and, and hear from our coffee with Kenobi friends as well.
Oh, and I mean, you have built that so solidly and it's, it's a testament to you and your ethics of storytelling. So I really like that. And I, I always look at it as, as it's, it's conversation for growth. You know, we don't mm -hmm. have to agree, mm -hmm. but you know, when we share those ideas and those ideas, it's not, we're not, we're not saying it to be right <laughs> or to say someone's right. wrong. We say it to grow. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yes. it's a great culture and a community that, that Coffee with Kenobi has. I love being a part of it and having these conversations with you and then hopping into social media to see what everyone else thinks as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate that. And again, be sure to go to the CWK Cafe, www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash CWK Cafe to share your thoughts, comments, and opinions on the book of Boba Fett. Not only this episode, but subsequent ones, the series overall. So much more to come on behalf of myself and Tom Gross. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great rest of your week, and we will see you next time. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coffee with Kenobi unless otherwise indicated. This is the podcast you're looking for. There's no one here. Move along. Move along.